Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own, you're gonna have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning. Good evening. It is your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y. You dig live action, the Culture Talks podcast, back at it again with another episode. And look, I mean, I know y'all probably tired of me saying this, but I told y'all last week, I'm going to bring on a fire guest. And once again, I have done it. Today, we have the legend in my eyes, you know, obviously y'all got to decide that for yourself, but in my eyes, <laughs> anyways, we have my guy Marco on the podcast today. I don't want to do too much of the introduction, so I'm going to let him introduce himself. With that being said, go ahead and tell the folks what's up, my brother. Thanks for having me, Collis. I've been listening for a while, so, and I mean, we go back a long way, so uh, I'm glad to, that I, you finally brought me on. I mean, for being your legend, it's been a while, so, uh, but anyways, man, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you who I am. Essentially, I uh, I work in e-commerce and tech and design and music. I've kind of like moved to LA when I was 18 to pursue a career in music. And that wasn't going to work for me the way I wanted it to. So I went back to school, got my degree, and I've been working uh, for the last few years in e-commerce and uh, direct consumer stuff. And recently been working with a lot of celebrities, athletes, musicians, uh, just doing drops doing everything end to end designing producing like producing the merch or apparel that it is building and developing the drop pushing it globally just working with teams like that that have reach and uh know how to how to capitalize on their audience so that's what i've been doing and that's uh i mean it's always an evolving thing but that's that's kind of what i do i love it i love it thank you thank you for the introduction but you told me before we hopped on the podcast that I look like Black Jesus. And as I was looking at you while you were talking, I know this is a little off topic, but if anybody's seen the movie about Captain Phillips, you kind of look like bro that said, look at me, look at me. I'm the captain now. I'm the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> if y'all watching the YouTube version right now, y'all know what I'm talking about, but it's okay. We, we both handsome out here. We both popping, man. Um, So I want to run it all the way back to childhood to, to baby Marco, man. So where are you born? Where were you raised? Uh, and what was life like in the town or city that you grew up in? Yeah. Uh, glad this is a long podcast. No, uh, <laughs> no I, uh, I was born and raised in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, well, I was born in Vancouver, grew up about three hours east of Vancouver. Um, I spent three years in China as a kid. I was there when I was two and a half till I was six. When I moved back to Canada, I was the only black kid in a white school and I had a Chinese accent. So after all that, try fitting in as the only black kid in your school in China or in, the, in Canada, but then also uh, speaking another language and reading with a, with a Chinese accent. It just was not the move. Uh, so I, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I spent some time there and I, I lived in Canada from, again, from when I was six like after I moved to China, I came back from when I was six till I was uh, 14. I went to boarding school. I met some good friends there. I met my co-founder in high school at a boarding school. This is not like a nice boarding school. I know people think about boarding school like, oh man, you went to Connecticut and like went out and lived in some nice lavish. No, nah, this was like, this was like almost, it was military school, not really military school, but it was like that quality. It was not, nobody wanted to be there. Um, but actually when I went there is when I met my current co-founder and got introduced to your older brother, Carlos, uh, cause he actually lived in Kansas with you guys back, whatever, like 15 years ago. Um, after that graduated high school and, uh, moved out to LA. I don't know. I can dive deeper into any of these details if you want, but that's kind of like the childhood. I love it. Oh, well, you want to know something funny for me calling you a legend. I didn't know you were born in Canada. 
You know, like people are probably like, they're probably like, yo, like he must know everything about Marco already. Well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I had no idea <laughs> that this man was a Canadian. <laughs> I did not know, <laughs> but, but that is super dope, man. So I do actually want you to talk a little bit about the boarding school life. You don't need to say the name of the school or, or anything too deep, but talk a little bit about what that was like for you. Like, was there more black people there? <laughs> Did that shape anything um, that you carried with you to this point in life? Any characteristics, any um, principles that you carry with you? Um, what, was, what, what were some negatives and positives of your experience during those three to four years? So let me give a little more context then for the sporting school conversation because I am half African, like from Chad. My, my biological father's from Africa. My biological mother is Persian. I was born when she was 14 years old. She was the result of a rape. And then I basically came out of that, was adopted into an African-American and white family that lived in Canada. My dad, my adopted dad is Dutch from the Netherlands. My adopted mom is from Jersey. So she's black. So like, I have all of these relationships and experiences with being like, I, you know, people talk about a third culture kid. I'm like a fifth culture kid, like Chinese, Persian, Canadian, American, African American, uh, Dutch. Like I have all of this stuff. So when I grew like in Canada, there's just not as many black people, but I didn't grow up with a lack of a black life. Like I have my whole black family. It was like, I, I, I'm black, but, uh, and you know, everybody looks at you, you're black. So, you know, I was like, I grew up that way. But then when I was 14, I went to boarding school. Um, and that was interesting because now I was experiencing, I was making real relationships and friendships with people like youth at that age that were African-American, but also just straight up Africans were coming to this boarding school too. People from the Ivory Coast, people from South Africa, people from Algeria. So I was like really learning about who I was. You know, I think for a lot of times people think about race as this thing that's like four in front of your mind. And recently, because of all uh, the recent events in the world where we're much more aware of our blackness and of race. And I think we're, not that we're not aware of it, but I think it's very like tip of our tongue right now. But when you're growing up, when you're 13, 14 years old, you experience racism, but it's also just part of like navigating life. You're like, I, people see me as black, but I know I'm half Persian. I have a white father. I have a Persian mother. I have a black mother. I've got an African father. Like you have all of this. So it's, it's trying to navigate like, who's your group? Who, you, who do you feel closest with? Who, do you, who identifies with your experience? Um, so I really I grew into my blackness in my like early teens. Um, but also at that time, like, you know, a lot of like Asian students came straight from Japan or China. Um, also had a lot of just like American students that, that were all mixed up in their own ways that came as well. So um, that was that was quite an experience at this boarding school to realize that like the people I identified, the people, the way that people identified me was as black. But when you live, when you live with people who look very different, you realize that like, not that you didn't know this already logically, but the differences between these people are superficial. There's not anything to do with who you are. It has a lot more to do with how you were raised, where you come from. Um, but given enough time and, and and putting people in a pressure cooker together, you kind of realize, oh, like the way you look, the way you talk, the way you act is all superficial stuff that um, when it comes down to it, these people are family. So I still have very close friends from when I was 14 years old. I'm 30 now. Uh, and my co-founder was my roommate in 10th grade. So <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that's, honestly a super dope story because when we think of I love I mean personally me being so interested in like business um I hear so many different podcasts and interviews about like how two people met and that's always a great story so can you talk a little bit I mean you shared that part which is already dope but can you talk a little bit about how you guys created your friendship and you can go ahead and drop the name you know that's yeah. my god too shout out to him um mm -hmm. but um but yeah can you talk about like how you guys met maybe do you remember the first time you guys like spoke to each other in your room like just share a little bit about that yeah uh so i met him in 10th grade when i was i went in ninth grade he came in 10th grade but in ninth grade his older brother came his older brother was crazy uh he got expelled like the first month 
I was also like five three, five two at the time. I was a small guy. I grew like ten inches that year, but I was very small. And he picked on me. My my friend's older brother picked on me because I reminded him of his younger brother. So he was beating my ass. He was screwing around with girls. He was doing whatever. So he got expelled. Um, and then the next year, his brother came, and we're like, "Oh damn! All right, I see." So like we kind of bonded that way. And uh, you know, he's so. Uh, my co-founder, my one of my best friends, his name is Shion. His older brother's name is Paymon. They're both half Persian, half Japanese, actually. Um, so we kind of became friends really quickly and were roommates at one point. And uh, I mean, but our relationship goes like, I mean, we played on like the school rugby team and the, we weren't very good at all. Uh, and also he's like five, five, like 120 pounds right now. So he's just, <laughs> <laughs> he's a small guy uh, but then yeah I mean like he designed he helped me design my first rap cover when I was my rap album cover when I was 15 and it was terrible I mean it's just like all bad but uh, the, co the cover wasn't bad the music was bad but you know but at whatever. that point you thought it was fire <laughs> at that point doc it was the best thing you've ever seen so uh but yeah we like we bonded, we built friendship and it's cool because after we graduated high school and I moved out to LA, like he still was helping me, he was helping me build a website. He was helping, like, he ended up moving into computer science and engineering um, before I did. So he was always helping me with all this stuff. Um, and yeah, so he's actually, it's funny because now we're starting this business together, but he's seen every evolution of me trying to be entrepreneurial and creative and whatever. He's seen it since I was 15, making like, producing and rapping on my own songs, performing, like, I don't know, like he saw me when I went to Phoenix for All-Star Weekend in 2009 to do a performance at some dive bar that nobody cared about. Like, bro, he's he's seen the whole thing. So now we're, uh, now it's nice because there's no pretense. There's not like no posturing of like, I'm somebody that I'm not, he's seen, he's seen all of it. Man, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. And I want to throw in a few stories real quick just about Paymon and Shion. So these two individuals, they also used to live somewhat in our area growing up. They, um, for, I mean, the majority of my listeners are here from Kansas City. So they grew up um, basically on like the, if I'm remembering correctly, on the Overland Park, Shiny Mission side of town. So like more on the Kansas side of the border. We're in Olathe, right? Olathe, there we go. That's what it was. Yeah. So they grew up in Olathe. So most of you guys know in the Can in Kansas City area, that's like about 35 minutes away. But long story short, we used to go over to their house. They used to come over to our house and stay over on the weekends. And I remember very clearly when I was a kid, like Sean and Paymon coming over and they used to make like the most fire breakfast in the mornings when they would wake up from like staying over. But every single time our alarm would go off in the house, the fire alarm. And so my job was to take off my shirt and then start like <laughs> waving it over the thing. And then like, as soon as I take off my shirt, everyone would clown me for like being fat. They'd be like, hi, <laughs> Paymon and Greg. And then like, they would go ham and then I'd like run away crying. But anyways, those were great memories though still now that I'm older, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> yeah, getting bullied, man. such good memories. <laughs> <laughs> but, but both great individuals. I love it. Um, so music man where did the music inspiration come from was that just something you wanted to try just because you know something that you were watching growing up um matter of fact let's start who were some of your like early favorites or early influences in regards to hip-hop when you were 14 15 oh man okay so like when i really started getting into hip-hop i was like 13 14 15 around like and back then that was like me re me discovering for the first time the whole tupac like just everything he's ever done um kanye was like a huge influence back then um there were a couple other there's like a canadian rapper and musician his name was chaos and he like played a bunch of instruments but he was a, he was really good i don't know ludicrous uh the game these are all like this is whatever was hot at the time was like what right. i was into right. but also i was like exploring all this other stuff my mom kept being like oh you gotta go listen to grandmaster flash and all i'm like I was like 14. My mom was like, go back, listen to the 80s rap. I was like, no, nah, I'm okay. But um, I'm yeah, but I mean, so so that was like some of my early influence in hip hop to like, and kind of why I started doing the type of music I wanted, I, I got into, which was always very like melodic uh, and musical, not so much like, I don't know if you remember what 2005 you were 10. Hey bro, I remember being on like MySpace and Facebook listening to your music. Don't worry. <laughs> well, like 2005, like that was that was kind of the time where there was this gap between like um, 
hip hop was still very hard. Like it was like G Unit was like a major, uh, and like G Unit, Young Buck, uh, the game, obviously 50 Cent. Uh, I don't even know, man. I can't remember any of these people right now, but it's been 15 years. But like that was kind of the stuff I was listening to at the time. Um, but then that started transitioning, especially with like the emergence of Kanye as going from a producer on a lot of Jay-Z's stuff and working with John Legend and whatever to being his own artist. That's when you started to hear a lot of the music coming through. And for me, I've been playing piano since I was six years old. Then I picked up the guitar, picked up the drums. I played the trumpet since I was nine, picked up the bass. So I played like five or six instruments decently probably piano and drums were like the best instruments up until I was like 13 or 14 and then when I like and I was not like a big hip-hop I was like look I was in Canada there's like white people everywhere it was just like I was listening to a lot of rock and like radio pop I mean every kid is listening to that stuff for the right. most part um but then like I went to boarding school and like I was already listening to some hip-hop before then but like that's when I really dove into it um and like the experience of me having like having musical experience like having been trained to play instruments really fed into how i created music it was just a way it was like a creative outlet i wanted to make music i wanted to connect with people it made me feel good i mean if you've ever made a song not just rapping on a song but if you've like composed a song created the drums played the instruments mixed it all together like it's a real accomplishment. So, and it feels like you can really feel that when you're doing it. So I love that feeling. Um, so yeah, I was like, I'm going to be a rapper. I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to be a singer. And I moved to LA at 17. Um, and then, yeah, and then, then I don't know, then I can keep going, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got from there. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So outside of music, man, what was your experience like in LA? Were those some formative years for, for building character or mindset or how you were approaching life or relationships or spirituality? What was your experience like in LA kind of outside of music, more like personally in depth? What did that evolution look like for the years that you were there? Oh man, I was fucking up big time. I mean, basically like I left, I left home wanting to pursue music, but I wasn't like very centered as a person. I knew what I, I had, a, I was ambitious, but I didn't really have like um, a strong center of gravity from like a spiritual or emotional maturity aspect. I was just kind of like doing what I wanted to do. So I was drinking and smoking and hooking up with people and just like, you know, that was like, I was just doing whatever I wanted. Um, and it didn't feel great. You know, it just, it didn't, it, I mean, in the moment when you're in it, like all of that is like a lot of fun, but then like, you kind of have this, I had this like a hollow kind of empty feeling day to day. Um, and I was like in a relationship that was bad. It was like emotionally abusive on both ends. We were breaking up and getting back together. And it was just like this whole, like nothing was right. And then I remember like at 20, 22 or 23, I was like, this is bad like this relationship is really bad so I got out of it and kind of just like rediscovered who I was and like more of like how my parents raised me to be uh this is not like a, I'm not trying to like <laughs> uh go and and say that you have to be the most spiritual or religious person or anything like that, but just like there's a lot of those core principles that my family had instilled in me that I purposely ignored because it was more fun to do the fun stuff that was kind of like fuckboyish. uh and I I mean, honestly, I don't regret any of it because it got me to where I am now. Like having that epiphany was very like uh, that I needed to change something was really helpful. Um, and it's kind of like you're talking about outside of music, but that whole process outside of music helped me change my perspective on what I was doing with music. So I was doing all this music. I was trying to like create a career for myself and it wasn't, it wasn't going great. It wasn't going poorly. It was just kind of going. Um, but as I started like to meet more people, so like started running across people like uh like we were I was running the same circles as like odd future for example so like Tyler the creator Haji Beats Frank Ocean these were like people that I was around and I was like these people <laughs> are way better than me at this stuff and they had just gotten started I mean they've been doing it for a while but they were just getting started and I was like I need to do something else because I wanted a creative outlet um 
And I think I was conflating the idea of being creative and being a musician with being reckless with your life. And like, that was very clear at a certain point that like, this was not going in the right direction. And I did not have the emotional or like mental fortitude to keep myself centered as a person while participating in the music industry in the way that I was trying to do it. Cause it was a lot of late nights. It was a lot of meeting up with people. It was a lot of like showcases and demos and all, all the stuff that comes up with living in LA and doing that. Um, at least like how I was perceiving it. I'm not saying it is what it is. It's just, that's, that's how I was living it. Right. Um, so I just switched all that up and, uh, after a couple of years of that, I just went back to school, um, went back to community college, got a couple courses under my belt and got my way into Cal State. Uh, graduated in two and a half years because I was like, I'm not here to have fun. I moved, went back to school at like 22. And I was like, I'm here to get a degree so I can build what I want to build. And then I got a degree in computer science and started building products, started building experience, started doing all the technical stuff that none of my music friends could do, but it was still just as a creative of an outlet. The thing that was really frustrating about music was that I would spend, I don't know, I mean, anybody who's listening to this has ever tried to make a song, you know, it's like, it can, it can be 20, 40, 80 hours of like re recording, re-recording, mixing, tweaking, putting in the putting like mastering and putting in your car, putting it on these speakers as a sound right, going back and doing it again. That process is very intensive. And then once you have the song, you show it to somebody I'm like, yo, Carlos, check out the song. You're like, mm, no, nah, I don't really like hip hop. <laughs> and you're like, what? So like, and then once I showed it to you, I can't come back to you with the same song again and be like, hey, Carlos, check out the remix of this song. You're like, I didn't like it the first time, man. Don't show it to me again. So that thing got like, I didn't have the grit at 18 to 20 to be able to like push through that. But also like the nature of music is that you're, you're creating something that people should evoke an emotional response and iterating on that and coming back to somebody with that. Oftentimes um, you get a lackluster response, but if you're creating an app, you're building a product people want to see the new version. They want to see it get better. And that was something that I was getting a lot of energy from. So that's kind of the direction I went in and it like teed me up for the rest of my career so far. I love it. I love it. And you kind of led us into that. So we're going to stay on that topic, man. So how'd you decide on computer science? How did you decide you wanted to be in that world? And um, just talk a little bit about, yeah, the inspiration behind jumping into that we can kind of skip over the college part because <laughs> you know, I don't like college, <laughs> but, uh, but nah, nah, nah. So, so you studied computer science, but what was the inspiration behind wanting to go that route? Uh, so actually my ninth grade roommate and, and Cheyenne, my 10th grade roommate, both were in school getting their computer science degrees while I was like, they were graduating while I was like still doing music. And I was like, just getting back into school as they were like about to graduate from college. And I was like, they're like, you man, you should like try this course. this like Python course, like a programming language. Mm -hmm. And my friend was, he had started his master's. He graduated a year early. He was starting his master's program and he was teaching uh, a computer science class to like entry level, like computer science 101, whatever. Uh, he's like, Marco, take this, like go to the site and try this. Like I'm doing it for the whole semester. Try it out. Uh, see if you like it because that might be interesting for you to go to school for that. And I was like, all right. And this was something he was going to do over a whole semester with his students. I did it in three days. And I like killed the whole thing in three days. I was like, all right, this is dope. I can see how this builds something. So I was like, I took a full course, a full semester's course in three days, knocked it out of the park. And I was like, all right, great, let's go. And it was just like something clicked about it that it was, um, in my mind, like I'm very much an engineer. Like I, I didn't know that I was that way, but I like building things and continuing to improve on them and knowing how the pieces fit together. I want to understand the system. I want to know how everything functions. Um, and creating that was like very exhilarating for me. So that's kind of just like, I was studying philosophy at the time, actually. Like I was like <laughs> taking a lot of philosophy classes, which you know, doesn't go anywhere. So I was like, I was studying that for a bit and I saw computer science. I just switched everything into computer science. I uh, still got my minor in philosophy. It's still relevant, honestly. Philosophy has a lot to do with like rational arguments and being able to um, communicate complex thoughts effectively, understanding the logic behind them and all of that stuff 
boiled down to its root is a lot of what computer science and programming and engineering is. So um, I don't know, man, I've just been lucky. Like I've just kind of like been, I'm falling forward and every time I'm finding like a new place to step into that's working for me. So um, yeah. I love it. I love it. So tell us about your first, like, I, I don't know how to ask the question, but official like experience in the tech world, like in e-commerce, in DTC, what like there, you know, think about that ecosystem. What was your first job that you maybe got paid for? Mm. I'll tell you about my second job I got paid for. The first job I got paid for was working at a biomedical company as a test automation engineer. It's not, it sounds boring and it is boring. I don't even want to tell you what it was. But uh, my first like job where I was creating something that I was excited about, I was working at Capital One for my now uncle-in-law. He was the VP of design at Capital One. And we were creating this, uh, we were creating a game for helping you with your finances. So basically like think about how banks make money, right? hey, here's a credit card, spend as much as you want, pay the minimum, and we're going to charge you interest on everything left over on that card every month forever. And people will pay $10,000 on a $5,000 $5, of stuff they bought, right? So, because they just don't pay it off. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody understands that. Like, if you're 22 years old, you don't get that. Or if you're 18 years old, you don't understand. You're just like, yeah, I'm just paying and I, I get to have free money. Awesome. Um, not everybody's as dumb as I was, but, you know, uh, <laughs> it's like, Hey, I just got my Capital One credit card in the mail. <laughs> so, uh, I was like, I was working there and this game was basically like putting you in a garden. It was like a Zen garden of finances. So you had like the rock, like the balancing rock sculptures and that was your credit card balance. And they're kind of like all wobbly and not like, so you would pay off your credit card balance and it would like, you know, there's all that stuff. There was like, you could plant a tree And that tree would be like a savings account and capital one. I'm not even trying to pitch them, but like they got this feature where you can have 25 different checking accounts. It's for free. You can spin them up really easily. So we have that showcase in this app where you can plant different trees and their own savings or checkings accounts. And you can like, this is whole gamified experience in an app. We had game designers, we had industrial designers. We were creating bamboo credit cards that were like curved on the edges. It was sexy, man. It was great. So I was like, that was the first time I was really working in tech because I was, my boss was, is now my, is my wife's uh, uncle actually, but my boss was a like really well-known designer. He designed a bunch of phones for Motorola and Google. Um, He designed the Microsoft Surface. He like, he was really bringing a lot of that like design mantra and energy that you think about like the quintessential Silicon Valley designer that was him. Like that's who he was. And he was leading this full on engineering, like, like uh, interdisciplinary, uh, like technology team with engineers and designers and civil engineers, mechanical engineers, everybody was on this team. I was one of three software developers on a 30 person team. So I got to build anything I wanted that I was in- interested wow. in. Um, that was the first time I was like, oh, technology is, I could do a lot here. But it was also the first time that I realized that being behind the keyboard writing code is really exciting, but it's kind of low leverage in some situations. For me, at least, I didn't like writing code as much as I liked thinking about what we were making. So I was more engaged and excited about the app. What is it going to be? Why are we making these choices? Why is this tree doing this thing? Why are the credit card balances only being showcased this way? Why is the physical card that we're going to mail out to people only available when you have this much savings in your, like all of that stuff, that's product thinking. Like what is the product we're providing to the customer? I didn't really understand what that was until I got to that job. And after that job, I was like, I'm done. Like I'm not writing code anymore. I need to be doing product management because I met a product manager who was good. I don't know. He was like a banking product manager. So he was all about the red tape and like making sure everything was signed off on. I was like, I'm not really down for this. I want to do something. I want, I can do his job better than he can. Whether that's possible, whether that was true, that's up for debate. I was also like a cocky 24 year old, 23 year old. So like, whatever. Um, 20, 24, I guess at the time. But um, so yeah, I, after that, that's kind of my trend. I started looking for product management jobs um 
and I, I'll keep going if you don't want to yeah. stop me. Yes, please. So, uh, I, uh, I, I got married. I'm, I met my wife. We got married. Uh, and then I got a job at Expedia as a product manager for HomeAway, which is like the older, whiter version of Airbnb. I don't know how to say it any other way. Uh, like if Airbnb is renting out rooms to, to like young people of color that want to have experiences, HomeAway, which is now VRBO, is uh, we're going to Jackson Hole, Wyoming to rent a six bedroom house with our cousins to go on a ski trip, right? Like yeah, just yeah, a I different audience, different yeah, type of sure. platform. So I was doing that, did that for a couple of years, uh, two years almost. And then I was like, this is extremely boring. I got there and actually I was, whoa, hold on, back up. Gotta tell you a little bit about this. I, when I was at Capital One, I got tired of the whole, like it seemed like everybody around me was like making the next Venmo. And I was like, we already got Venmo. We already got Snap Cash or Apple Pay. Like we already had, why are we solving these problems? So I, why are we re-solving these problems actually? So I, I wrote an article and I published it on Medium, which was called, um, I'm done pretending Silicon Valley is visionary. I remember and reading that. I, yeah, I kind of like moved there thinking it was going to be, like I was going to be saved by, industrialism and capitalism and like the vision of the future and it just wasn't as as enticing as i thought it was going to be so i wrote this thing it kind of just blew up i don't know it went viral like everybody read it a bunch of like executives from you know google apple just every every big tech company that is in the Fortune 500, that's all those executives were reading it. They were reaching out to me, DMing me, calling me. I was going to coffee with them in Palo Alto, and none of them wanted to do anything. They just wanted to like meet me. It's like, all right, cool. But one of them got my number out of nowhere. I don't know how, but he he was the CEO of HomeAway, and he was like, "Hey, man, I want you to move to Austin, and I want you to work for me as a product manager." And I'm like. 26, the CEO of a $5 billion company inside of a $25 billion company is like, come work for me. It's like, all right. So my wife and I moved out to Austin. Uh, and then after the promise of me being able to do very exciting, creative things, I noticed, I saw that inside of a big company that had 2000 employees at the time, you can have great ideas, but it takes three months to get the budget for it. It takes six months to get the prototype out the door. And then it takes one day for them to be like, nah, and then they cancel it. And I did this three times while I was there. And I was like, I'm not doing this because I've spent two years of my prime creative energy, <laughs> at least what I believed at the time, to just waste it on, um, on, on little explorations and like pet projects of the CEO or the head of product or whatever it was. And I was like, I don't want to do this. So I quit. And from there, just like started consulting, like as much as I could just consulting with anybody who wanted to work with me. I didn't know how valuable my skill set was. I didn't even know if it was valuable, but I was like, all right. So I just reached out to anybody and was consulting for maybe, oh, October to yeah so basically a full year I was just winging it man it's like my first real shot at like being an entrepreneur I mean it was, music is its own like entrepreneurial right. ever right. but like this was like I'm not doing music and I need to make money also I own a home and <laughs> I need it's to like a few years it's a few years after like it's been like seven years since you stopped doing music or five six years so yeah. you got you know establishing this new life and then boom back to it again so Definitely yeah. a, a shock. Sorry, continue. No, yeah, you're, you're completely right. Like I, I had to come back to figuring out like, and there was something about this. I've, I've, a lot of people have asked me like, well, how do you decide when it's time to go out and start your own business? I honestly was, didn't think about that. I was tired of my job and I quit in exchange for a short-term contract at a, at a podcast app that needed a GM for a few months. So I did that. And after those few months were up, I was like, all right, like, I guess I'm gonna keep going. And just like the pressure of not knowing where your next paycheck is going to come from, like lights a fire under your ass, man. I was writing content for days. I went from having 400 followers on Twitter to having 6,000 in the span of three months. I just was like writing content. And this wasn't like, you know, not the like, 
no, I don't know how to run a business, but buy my $10 course type of entrepreneurship. It was like, here's my experience watching e-commerce brands in the direct consumer space. I've been a, an engineer and I've been a product manager for e-commerce businesses. Airbnb and Expedia are e-commerce businesses. They just sell they sell flights and hotels and not makeup or whatever. Um, I was looking at these, they're like, there's, here is a laundry list of all the things that are wrong with these sites. Here's how you can make them better. Here's what I would do as a product manager. And I just started writing these. And then over time I started like, because of in direct consumer stuff, brand and, and e-commerce are so tightly inter, intertwined that like I had to start commenting on like the way they're communicating this value prop about their brand is actually they're losing value for their customers because of X, Y, and Z. And I list those things out. People are like, oh my God, you're a marketer. And I was like, I guess, sure. So then all of a sudden I became like a D2C marketer, at least in other people's perspective. I still don't really understand it, but I, I think I'm relatively good at marketing now, understanding how, how to capitalize and move within certain markets. I get that, but I kind of leaned into that role and started working with a bunch of emerging direct consumer businesses, some more established ones. I took on some huge projects that I thought were really cool. One of them was uh, Chipotle. They were just launching their direct consumer like delivery service. And I got pulled in by one of their VPs to help them strategize on the whole process of like, what does this look like? Then COVID happened, whatever, six months later, which has nothing to do with me, but I will say that this is their, they went from like nothing to a $2 billion line of business very quickly. COVID has a lot more to do with it than Mike's consulting strategy at the time, but still it was like, it's cool to be involved in those things. Um, after my consulting, I joined an e-commerce startup called Elliot for a little bit. Um, that was exciting. I put my whole name and br like personal brand onto that for, I just put it, I put everything into that because I believed in what the, the e-commerce is an e-commerce platform. I believed in what it was doing. Turns out that um, the CEO was mentally unstable. I, and in hindsight, it's very clear to see in the moment, you're just kind of like, man, this guy is overreacting to everything. Why is he calling out our customers on Twitter? Why is he being an asshole here? Why is he lying to this? Why, like, you know, I, I didn't really like, you, you tell yourself it's fine until it's not. And then basically when we were supposed to like officially launch and open up the platform, he had a meltdown, burned the company down in two weeks, went on his own little like, I'm not trying to put his business out there, but you know, he just went, he went, he went off the deep end from a mental, a, a, a mental coherence and control angle, as well as substance abuse, all of that. Like basically just went off the rails for two months and, uh, that allowed me to leave that company and really take stock of what I had done, where my value was. Um, and I started another business. And since then I've been working with uh, Will Smith's Westbrook Entertainment Group on a lot of, uh, on a lot of their celebrity client stuff. So their, their Fresh Prince store, Bellar Athletics, any of their celebrity clients that come in, I basically am doing everything from product design and production, uh, fulfillment, customer service, um, the site design and development, everything. I'm running e-commerce for, for everything they do, as well as in my new business, Drop Party, which is it basically is a one-stop shop for drops. We do drops for talent all over the board, uh, athletes, musicians, entertainers, conferences, whatever it is. Uh, we're doing whatever we can there and, and just help these people execute drops on social media because they have a huge platform. So that's a long story. I realize I just like. <laughs> no, it's okay. it's okay. See, the funny thing is like, 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 like this, going, this, hopefully this doesn't sound rude, but like the when I started a podcast, I was like, all right, what do, what do I like doing? Well, I like talking and I like like hearing other people talk and hearing other people's stories and I was like really just trying to find like what's something I can do that I'm somewhat good at that I can do now not have to like go to school for 10 months or go to I was like what can I do now to fulfill this creative thing that I want to do in my head something and I was like watching a Gary Vee video he's like he's like <laughs> you know how he's like mad brash he's like look some of you guys are dumb like all you have to do 
is reach out to some people and tell them you want to have them on the podcast to talk about them. And they'll be like, hell yeah. And then they'll come on and they're going to be like humble at first. And then they're still going to be humble, but you just got to be like asking questions. And then they're just going to talk. And then that's your job is done. Boom. You're done. I was like, I was like, Oh shit, that's lit. <laughs> Interview my first person. They were like, Phew. I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Yeah. I get to listen to people talk. And then that's the whole point of the thing is like for people to tell their story and like, especially like you telling a little bit about like you know your background as an individual growing up culturally like ethnically all of those things mixed together it goes back to kind of the point of the podcast being that you know we're just trying to elevate voices of people who we think are not elevated a lot or like so black and brown people we feel like i say we i guess right now it's just me but <laughs> so, so, yeah so 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 um we really just are trying to support voices that we don't think are heard enough. And especially in your experience, like we're always portrayed as we can only be basketball players or we can only be rappers. Like that's just always like with black and black people, it's just like, this is what you can do. Like that's all I saw growing up is like rappers, basketball players. I didn't see any until Obama, of course, but besides that, politicians, I didn't see any really businessmen, I didn't see any, I didn't hear about e-commerce or uh, web developers or anybody that was black. It was always a white person or an Asian person, which shout out to them, but I'm just saying, that's all <laughs> That's all that I saw. So for you, it's like, you started off one place, which is the beautiful thing about your evolution, like you started off here, and then you went to music, and then you got into music, and then you pursued that, but then you were like, went through something and then I this inspired you to think about other things and then you transitioned here and then you tapped in you found your value boom went here and then you decided to do this and then you know what I'm saying it's like life is all about evolution and looking to see where you provide value and also looking to see you know what you're interested in and just trying shit like that's what I've seen you do like because as you're telling that story what I was your whole entire story what I was doing is just like piecing that to like my memories of like between us. Like when you were like, and I was at this, when I started doing this, I was like, oh, I remember when I was at Bosch, like talking to you about this at that time period. And then it's like, and then this, and I was like, dang, I remember when you just got off of that. And then it was like this. And I was like, dang, I remember when you just moved there and got a house and we were on the phone. And then it was this. I was like, I remember when I was in LA crying, calling you, talking about, bruh, I need somewhere to go. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, I remember all these, all these points and it's just beautiful to see the evolution of not only a friend, but just creatives and how you can really do anything just as long as you're willing to try and apply yourself. So, man, I, I appreciate that. And actually like, it's interesting because a lot of it's, it's weird because I'm, I'm 30. I don't think I'm 30, but I feel like now when I wake up, I feel a little bit 30, <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, yeah, that's like my, I still feel like I'm 21. I still mentally am, am young. I st but time has passed, and I'm. People ask me like, or I'll talk to somebody. I even talk to you, and people will be like, "Man, you're like so successful now. You're like working with Will Smith, and you're working with Pat Mahomes, and you're working with what?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's great, but I I'm still like in my house." up to one in the morning, sending back emails and tweaking websites and designing, like I'm still doing the work and I can't actually tell you where the inflection point was. You know, a lot of people will think like you got, I mean, this happens to everybody when you're in high school. What are you gonna do with your career, Carlos? What are you gonna do? Who are you gonna be? Tell me that now, we're gonna get you to go to a certain college for a certain degree. You gotta pick your major. You gotta stick with that for four years. You gotta come out, you gotta do your five years at your, whatever firm you're going to be at. And then you come out of that and you're free to go. And you've got, now you're going to be 30 and you have all this stuff figured out. Honestly, like that traditional path would have been detrimental if I had done it because I didn't go to school till I was 21. I graduated high school. I smoked weed every day for the last two months of high school and bailed on all my classes because I was smart enough to do the math and realize that if I failed everything, I would still graduate. So I just went to movies and smoke weed every day for the last two months of my senior year of high school. Like that's as smart as I needed to be. And I'm not saying I'm a dumb person at all, but just like every single thing that happened, I used it as a stepping stone to the next piece. I didn't try to overthink it. 
one thing that I, and I, I don't know, I don't know about your audience this well, but I'm going to say like, I, if you want something bad enough, if you want something, it doesn't have to be like a 10 year plan. If you want something for the next month or you want something next week, just put it in here in your head, think about it, want it, ask for it like with your heart, with your words, ask people about, you know how I get most of these deals? I call people. Like how I started working with Westbrook and Will Smith was somebody followed me on Twitter who was the editor in chief for Red Table Talk. I DM'd him. I was like, yo, uh, I'm working at an e-com platform right now. I'd love to get you over. And he's like, great. Let me introduce you to this other guy, Samir. Samir used to work at Rock Nation. And, and so I started talking to this guy a couple months later. He was like, hey, after the whole startup that I was working at died, he was like, I still need help with e-commerce. And I, ca I called him straight up though. And I was like, yo, it's over. This thing is over. We're not doing that, but can I still help you? Like when I say ask, I'm not talking about asking the universe on a cosmic scale. You don't have to, you can literally ask people. When I want something, I ask people. I'm like, yo, I'm trying to get in touch with ASAP Rocky. I called the one person who I think might know ASAP Rocky. And he's like, great bet. I got you connect. That's how things happen. You don't find success independently you find it through your network you just have to be willing to want it and and know that you're probably going to fail at a lot of stuff but people always want to help you so like how i got from 17 18 years old in la doing music through my degree through working at a tech company if you're quitting a tech company consulting direct consumer now working back in the entertainment industry with musicians and rappers and athletes and all the stuff that i wanted to do 12 years ago i'm doing it now from a different side it's more interesting for me it's more who i am it's based on all the experience i've had um but i'm not like i'm not chasing it i'm, I'm asking for it and it comes to me and what i want i just look for it and those opportunities those opportunities start to unfold in front of me as i'm looking in that direction trying to go that way you can't know where you're going to be in 10 years you got to start taking those steps now i love that i love that so i want to double back a little bit um and just for those individuals who don't know because i know for for you and then for, for me, just because that might be the world we're interested in, it's easy for us to know. So can you break down just a little bit, like define what e-commerce is and then what DT, DTC is? And then, um, yeah, go ahead and do that. And then I'll ask my, my follow-up question. Sure. Uh, so e-commerce is selling stuff online, as, as simple as it gets. There's like a whole industry around it, but essentially it's like there's a, there are a bunch of platforms that you can use and plug together and all this other stuff. But basically if you accept a PayPal payment for your like, I don't know, whatever you're selling on your website for culture talks tees, that that's e-commerce. You can make it a lot bigger. You can make it look like the Warby Parker website. You can make it look like walmart.com. That's also e-commerce, but e-commerce is selling stuff online. There is a lot of like, nuance that has evolved over the last 20 plus years of of sales happening on the internet so there's more nuance there and one of those pieces is d to c dtc is like how it's spelled but people just say d to c direct to consumer um direct to consumer means i'm selling my product from my company to my customer i'm not selling it through Kohl's or Target or Walmart, I'm selling it. You go to my website, you say, I want that and you buy it. And then I ship it from my warehouse to you. Direct consumer is not new. Direct consumer is maybe a hundred years old, probably more actually like most stuff, hundreds and thousands of years ago is direct consumer. You're in a market, yo, I killed this pig. Here it is. Do you want it? That's direct consumer. Sears was the first company to do a direct consumer catalog. Maybe it was Sears. There's no more company. I can't remember the name right now, but in like the thirties and forties, there's, there's catalogs, you know, like you'd get a catalog in the middle. You already got the Ikea catalog or the Sears catalog or whatever. That's direct consumer. You go there, you pick out what you want, you call them or you write a check and you say on the list, I want this, these items, send it to my house. That's direct consumer. The difference is now we have technology that makes it very instantaneous. Um, you don't need to get a whole like mail book to be able to buy some things. The so, good days, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, so that that's direct consumer. If you're wondering what that looks like today, that looks like Warby Parker, Away, Glossier, uh, Dollar Shave Club, 
those types of brands that are existing all over the internet now, actually, if you're scrolling through your Instagram and you're seeing ads for products, that's direct consumer. That That is what's happening now as the most efficient way for people to start businesses. So we have a lot of small businesses, maybe so a lot of sub $1 million businesses starting online right now that are using Instagram and Facebook ads to, to grow their business. Um, that is, that's, that's it. I love it. I love it. And that leads me to my question that you kind of talked about earlier, but I just want to uh, talk a little bit more about it. Cause I remember when I started seeing you do this. So talk about your Twitter content creation. I don't know if that was the only platform that you were like focused on when you started, like at that period of your life. But I remember just when your tweets started rolling in, like with your threads about certain um, uh, companies, certain products. And I was like, that's what like made me kind of interested in that world. I mean, I fell off, but definitely during that time where you were creating those threads, I was definitely like started following mad, like, you know, D to C uh, marketers, mad different companies that started studying about that because your writing was so dope. So when did you find out that you could write first and foremost, because you can, uh, I'm, maybe you're not in your head, uh, uh, an amazing freaking writer, but in my head, I'm like, damn, you can really write and put engaging content out there. And then why did you decide to use uh, Twitter that way? Did it just pop up in your head or did you see someone else do it or what? I mean, like, I think as far as social media goes, Twitter has always been the platform I use. Like I'm not really, uh, I'm not really an Instagram guy. I had, I mean, obviously I have Instagram, I had Snapchat, I'm on TikTok, but just for consuming all the crap that comes out of there. Cause it's funny. Um, but like Twitter was a place that I was engaging. I had friends and it was actually a place where there was social relationships, but also professional. It was a place that I could like develop myself a little more than just like, than just shit posting or whatever for like, it, it was actually very uh, engaging and empowering because I was able to connect with uh, some of my earliest follows are like, for example, Josh Elman, who was like an early product manager, I think at like Facebook. He was like one of the first employees of Facebook just like, managing their product. I think he was also at LinkedIn. Now he runs a VC firm. He's just like, was at Robinhood, the like stock trading app. He's going to uh, Apple to run the app store right now. Like that was somebody I followed five years ago before I was any, before I didn't, I didn't even know who he was really. And I would mess, I would like comment on what he was saying and he'd reply. And I was like, wait, this guy who's like involved in all this stuff is actually responding to what I have to say. Like, that's amazing. So then I started building more relationships. And in Silicon Valley, when I was there, a lot of my, my social network was also on Twitter. So that's kind of where it started. Um, but then when I quit my job, I was using Twitter just to like engage when I was working at my job. But after that, I was like, well, I want to look at these direct consumer businesses and see how I can like work with them or help them or whatever. And then I realized Twitter is like filled with entrepreneurs that sell stuff on the internet. It's it is where they meet. So I was like, well, I'm just gonna like look at some of the in most interesting brands. And anytime somebody would call me and be like, yo, you should check out this other brand. They're doing really interesting stuff. I would just look at what they're doing, take screenshots of everything that I thought was interesting, write notes. I literally have like Apple notes that I just had, like I was writing notes, putting screenshots in there. And then eventually it was a lot of stuff. I'd slim it down, make it more concise add whatever interesting facts that I thought were cool. I'd do some more research about like the market size or whatever, put that in there and throw it into a Twitter thread. And the first one I did got six likes, six, nobody cared, nobody at all. The next one got 11, the next one got 15, the next one got 30, 50, 120. And then I was like a 600, 700 likes and a hundred retweets. And then all of a sudden, like people were like, damn, this guy is interesting. He has opinions on this stuff. So my process was just like, and you want to go back to Gary Vee, this is basically what it's like, you're not going to blow up on the first thing you do or the second or the third is when one, people have to recognize you're going to be consistent. I'm not going to follow somebody or necessarily engage with their stuff if I don't even know that this is who they are. So having a clear voice of this is what I talk about was one thing, but then being consistent. And I was doing it every week, literally every week for like, three or four months, I did that. And then all of a sudden, I went from being nobody to being like a direct consumer influencer on Twitter. And people were tagging me and all their stuff and trying to get me on podcasts and like trying to have me do like a bunch of stuff that I was like, I don't even feel qualified for this. But I think what was nice because I came from such a different place from music, from engineering, from product management. 
that my take on what was happening in this industry was fresh. It wasn't people who grew up and came up in that industry. I had an outside view on it. So um, yeah, that, that's kind of how it happened. And I, I just, it was really just being consistent. I don't even know, you're asking me like, when did I realize I was a good writer? I think I've always been a good writer. I just never liked, I, I like writing when I have something to say. Right, right. I don't write because just like- Just write, right. Yeah, like I, I write to synthesize my thoughts. Mm. If I'm having like, there's a lot of stuff going on in my head about a subject and I want to like figure out like, what do I think about? Then I write it down and then I organize it. And then at that point, I'm usually done what I'm doing for myself. But if I'm like, well, I want to tell somebody else, then I organize it into a way that is compelling, has a narrative, uh, is engaging, throw some emojis in there, good to go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Some of the main, main things that, you know, I've, taken from this podcast is first and foremost don't be scared to try something new um i think that's super important so many people like commit to a craft and i understand the idea of commitment but if there's a point where you're questioning it or you want to try something new don't hold back you know what i'm saying like go out there and do it shout out to you for going back to college like that sounds fucking terrible to me to be honest so <laughs> i just want to be honest i just want to keep it real but but um man, like i'm not trying to convince you to go to college but if you if what you want if the knowledge you're looking for that separates you from success is in college go to college mm-hmm. that's kind of what it was for me i was like i don't think i'm going to be successful at music and i don't want to be a plumber and I don't want to do, I don't want to be a barber and I don't want to do a trade. I want to do something that's like mentally stimulating for me. Where is that? That's in college. But I didn't have that desire when I was 18. And actually taking that gap from 18 to 21 or 22 before I went back to college made it so that when I went there, I was not there to make friends. You know, everybody, their first, their freshman year is basically a waste because they go there and they start drinking and partying and they don't even care about their grades. I went at 21, started going back at 21 and I was like, yeah, I don't even know who these people are. I don't even care who they are. I was just there to work. Like, and I wasn't, still wasn't like an, a great student, but like, I was there to learn. Also, I never took notes. That's something you should know about me. I don't write notes. I might write notes for like a phone call so I remember something now. But you know, this whole thing of taking notes when you're in class and somebody's like, they're writing on, the teacher's writing on the on the whiteboard and you're trying to like take notes and they're talking, but you don't remember what, I just stopped that. I was like, look, they have the homework and I'm going to sit here in class and watch what they say and listen to them and ask questions. Because asking a question for my professor was way more valuable than me writing notes and then having to go home later that night and spend two hours trying to decipher my bad handwriting and try to figure out what it is that was actually meaningful. So I did it my own way, man. I don't know. Like, I'm not... I love it. I love it. <laughs> I probably should have done the same thing because I was over there the one semester I went to college in California. I was over there stressed and trying to write notes. <laughs> then I go home and I'm like, what the hell does this even say? And then I was like, you know what? That was pointless. I should have just actually watched and listened because I feel like low key notes distract you. But that's just my humble opinion. Um, but uh, man, but yeah, so be intentional. So aside, aside from that, the second thing is really be intentional. Like what you just said right there, like you knew when you were going back to school that you were not there to make friends. You had a goal. You were like, let me get this shit done. I'm intentional with it. Boom, got it done. Um, with, with with what you just talked about a second ago with Twitter, you were like, boom, oh, I'm learning about these new companies. Let me write some notes on them. Oh, snap, I can throw this into a Twitter thread. Be intentional. Boom, put it, put it, put it out there. Be consistent. Know what you need to do. Um, and then number three, thing, sorry. Oh, I have a friend that will for, that will encourage you to do the things you don't want to do. So my friend Spencer, he, when I was like, I had left my job, I was consulting and I was trying to get into D2C and he was like, you should write some of this stuff. I was, we were having these like hours long conversations about like what's happening in the e-commerce industry and whatever, right? We're nerding out on that shit. Uh, and then he's like, you should write some of these thoughts down. Like, I think they're really interesting. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, no, you should write them down. And you should write it every week. You should not, don't take one week off. Just write consistently every week. And he didn't let me off the hook. And then three months later, I had a whole new professional persona. Everybody I worked with before doesn't know about what I do and they don't care. And I don't care about them. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> I'm, in my own, I'm, 
I'm in my own new world right now. And right. it's great because I, but that's having somebody around you who supports you and believes in you and thinks you're capable is that's the person you got to find, find that person. Cause they're just as important as your own hard work. Cause you need somebody to reflect that back to you and be like, no, you're doing a good job. Keep going. I love it. I love it. Look, Marco, you've been dropping gems the whole entire episode on top of just telling a great story um, about your life. And I think, you know, a lot of people can grab not only value from this, but just a little bit of inspiration, you know, so a lot of people are stuck where they're at in life right now, whether they're 18, just finishing high school, or whether they're 27, trying to decide on a career change. And I think that this episode can bring maybe the little... <laughs> they need it. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? If y'all didn't see that on camera, y'all need to go watch the video version. Cause you know, we nice. <laughs> um, but man, I got one final question for you. Okay. Before we hop off this podcast, it's your last day on earth. All right. Marco is 107 years old. All right. And all the work you've done up to that point has been dope and everything, but it's going to leave earth with you as well. But your great grandkids are sitting at your feet and they're like, great grandpa <laughs> they're like great grandpa how am i supposed to live life you got to give them a piece one piece of advice on how they should live life what are you going to tell them yeah bro this is not a this is not a fair question you ask people this question every week every episode <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man uh i think i would just say Care about how you feel. That's it. If you care about how you feel when you're doing anything, you will make the right decisions. That's all I would say. If I only could say that one sentence, do you want me to go a little deeper on that? Yes, but you also answered the question already, but I would like you to dive a little bit deeper just for me. <laughs> all right. So, uh, you know, when you're trying to like, start something and you're like i got this great idea i got i'm gonna do this thing and then somebody's like yo Collins, man you got to check out this thing this the thing we're talking about i think somebody else is doing this too and you have a pit in your stomach immediately you're like damn oh it doesn't feel good i don't feel good like this like i have a bad feeling you know when somebody talks shit to you or you're like or you have an argument with somebody and it's, it's like just replaying in your head and you don't feel good feel that Feel that and recognize that because those feelings help you guide, guide yourself away from the bad feelings. It's not about running away from things. It's like when I'm, when I'm at a job that I don't like and I feel like shit, you got to recognize that. It took me about an extra year to realize that I hated the job I was at. I could have left earlier. I don't know what I'd be doing now, but I could have left earlier and gone and explored other areas. Um, but if you don't care about how you feel, you can't learn and change. Your body is the most in tune instrument we have for recognizing if something is right for you or not. There's, that's the only thing. You can try and think as hard as you want. You can try and say, I gotta figure this thing out. Or you can say, how do I feel right now? You know, like I'll have, when, when I wake up and I'm like, man, I don't wanna do this call today because I feel overwhelmed. I don't like, I just will cancel the call. Or I'll say, I gotta get over, I got, I have to do something. I want to do something to feel better before I go into this meeting or this event or whatever it is. How you feel is more important than what you're doing because what you're doing is dictated by how you feel. How you feel, it, it sets you on the right path or the wrong path. If you feel bad about something and you continue doing it, you're going to get more of that thing you feel bad about. If you feel good about something and you keep doing it, you're going to get more of that good feeling and more of that thing that gives you that good feeling. That's a bar. That's a bar. We're going to turn that into a little goodquote.com. <laughs> <laughs> hey, with that being said, Marco, go ahead and let the people know where they can find you. Um, where Tell them about the drop, drop party, where they can sign up for that or how they can involve themselves with that, where they can find you on Twitter, um, just how the community can help you out. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm all things Marco on Twitter, on Instagram on TikTok, but I don't, I haven't posted anything yet. You know, I might one day, you can follow me there. Uh, if you ever want to talk to me, easiest way would be DM me on Twitter, message me, or you can email me Marco at drop.party. I'm always on a chat with people, um, help however I can. 
dropped out party is what I'm building drop is drop party, but the website is dropped out party. There ain't nothing there right now because I've, everything I do is through relationships at the moment, but eventually there'll be something there as well. Um, maybe by the time you listen to this, there'll be something up. So go check it out. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I do. And, uh, if you want to support, man, just, uh, give me a follow and, and let me know that you, that you heard this and you want to chat. I love it. I love it. With that being said, this is C-I-Z-Z-Y live action from the Culture Talks, and I hope y'all have a blessed evening, day, or afternoon. Salud!